Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show with myself, Alex Thuma. On this week's episode, I am joined by Maddie Cross, Talent Director at Notion Capital. And we talk about, or mainly uh, Maddie talks about the unicorn trajectory, which was a theory that Maddie has been researching in depth and is fascinating uh, to really kind of understand that the hiring trajectories that uh, unicorns go through and what makes them uh, a unicorn. So uh, listen on to the show and learn from Maddie and this uh, in-depth research reports. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Maddie Cross, uh, Talent Director at Notion Capital. Welcome, Maddie. Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I think you might be the first person from Notion Capital on our podcast. Now, if, if that's correct, I can't believe that it, that's taken four years, having known you guys for uh, well, since the birth of SaaS stock. Well, I think we've probably been popping up at your conferences so much that we've probably heard enough from us over the course of those four years. So, uh, so that's yeah. not a huge surprise, but I'm glad to be here. So thanks for having me and, and I appreciate the time. No, good stuff. So, so, so Maddie, um, you know, we, we always like to get to know our guests, um, you know, in, in the beginning of the, uh, the, the show. So tell us, who is Maddie Cross? Like, who are you as a, 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 as a human? Um, what do you do and um, you know who are Notion Capital for those that don't know? Yeah sure so um, I'm as you mentioned I'm talent director at Notion and so sometimes people think that job title relates to organizing terrible karaoke parties or other things that don't have much to do with B2B SaaS Um, but in my case my main remit really is to help any founder that we're invested in with anything to do with talent. And that kind of starts from the top of the organizations and works its way down. So my primary remit is really around org structure of leadership teams and helping founders to set the bar in terms of what an amazing leadership team looks like. Because I think for a lot of founders, when they raise um, early stage capital, so C2 Series A, they don't necessarily know what that means. And it's hard to think about what that means because there's so many other things going on like you've just closed around like you're managing people you're building a product you're going to conferences you've probably got stuff going on outside of work as well family etc so my role really is to make that part a bit easier like when I'm if, if I'm a founder and I'm thinking about who I should add to my leadership team in terms of what the background of those people is like and, and what I should expect from them that's the where I kind of do the heavy lifting and 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 sort of stop founders having to spend too much effort and time thinking about how that should look. Um, so that's my remit. Um, in terms of Notion, so we are a $450 million uh, fund. We focus on European B2B software, um, predominantly SaaS. We were started by uh, the guys who started Message Labs back in uh, 1998. They sold it to Symantec in 2008 for $700 million. So we're very much an operator-led fund. And um, really we sort of try and help founders to go on that journey from kind of zero to a hundred million revenue um, because as a fund we've been there before and done that so we, we try and be very collaborative and that's really why my role exists because I think uh, the partners of Notions have realized how, how difficult it can be to go on that journey and so any support we can offer we, we try to to help with. Awesome. And, and so talking of a uh, hundred million uh, ARR uh, and uh, when you're at that stage, uh, you know, uh, being a, a, a unicorn, um, you uh, have conducted a lot of uh, uh, research uh, sort of recently, which was actually uh, presented at, at SASDOC 
um, uh, called the Unicorn Trajectory. Um, and this is what we're, we're, we're going to sort of like dive into uh, today. And so it's great. I, I love it when people uh, you know, do some deep dives sort of research into specifics in, uh, in SaaS. And, and so it's always um, you know, great when, when these reports come out. Um, and, and a pleasure to kind of, kind of discuss this today and have you talk it through it. So, um, yeah, so the unicorn trajectory, why did you uh, decide to um, you, you know, conduct this piece of research? What was the theory that you were kind of looking for here? Yeah, sure. So I guess the first the first thing is, and probably slightly answering your last question, um, a bit about me. So I'm an engineer by background and then a growth hacker. So I worked in a lot of digital marketing, so did SEM and Facebook optimization for a number of years. Um, and before that was an engineer, as I mentioned. So when I came into this job as talent director, there's not that much data in talent aside from comp benchmarks. In terms of who you should hire and when you should hire people, there's really not much out there. And so for me operating in that space, with no numbers behind me for the first time in my career was like really uncomfortable and I didn't, didn't like it. It's like I would say things and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not really sure if that's true because I don't have any data to back that up. Um, and that's not to say that I've ever misled anyone or tried to give a false impression about how teams should be built. It was more that there's nothing this is what we know this to the best of our knowledge this is the best advice we can give but there's nothing really in data to back that up um so it was first and foremost i guess to make me a little bit more comfortable in my own role of like when i give advice here's the data set behind it and the second part of it was when we invest in a business around 80 percent of the money that we give the founder goes on headcount the remaining 20 percent usually goes on office space and, and hardware and some marketing budget but 80 percent of it just goes on hiring people so it's a really important part of the decision making process not only for us but for the founder and the way that i think the i think of how the investment cycle works is that lps give us capital we deploy that capital into founders that we think have got an amazing vision and, and a real chance of executing on that vision and then they spend the majority of that cash on people so when we were going to give advice to founders about how they should best spend that money it's quite important to get that right. And when it comes to financial metrics, we've got so much we can go on. Like this should be your CAC payback period. Like this is like the, the average kind of customer lifetime value, et cetera. And we didn't have that for talent. So for me, it was very much like what data is out there that we can use to help inform these decisions. And realistically, the main data source out there is of course, LinkedIn and Crunchbase, like stuff that's publicly available. So it made me think, if we're really giving advice to founders of early stage businesses on what they should be aiming to achieve, that's pretty much always unicorn status or heading towards a billion dollar valuation in the industry that we're in. And that's not to say that you should ever start a business and have, have an intended outcome that's less than a billion. Absolutely, if that's right for you. But as a venture fund, that's generally what we're looking for is, is companies that have got the, the potential to hit that billion, billion dollar valuation. Um, absolutely. And so in terms of then where we look for the data, it's like, well, if we're trying to emulate, if we're trying to ask our founders to emulate unicorns, then we can only really look at unicorns to see what they did in the early stages. Um, and that was really where the initial thought came from. And then it was really just a case of going through the sort of standard process of running any kind of research project of what, what's the hypothesis and what data source have we got available and how do we clean up that data source? And so the hypothesis was really 
what effects do um, the backgrounds of people in leadership teams have on the outcome of the unicorn? And then how many of those people and when should those people be hired into the ideal company to help it go on the unicorn path or the unicorn trajectory, I should say? And should we uh, jump into some of the findings, the key findings then, uh, and sort of run through, uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah, those key findings that you, you found through the, uh, through the report? Yeah, sure. So then the, the mo- the, probably the one that's like the easiest to grasp and certainly for me was probably the biggest surprise is that the number of people hired into leadership teams of unicorns is significantly greater, even in the very early stages in the control group companies. And I should say, um, I should make clear what we mean by control group companies. So this report looks at 50 B2B SaaS unicorns, 50 companies that are control group companies. The unicorns obviously valued at over a billion dollars. The control group companies were started between 2008 and 2013 and have never been valued at more than $100 million. So great businesses, all of them, but not on that path to becoming unicorns. Um, And then the people from within those businesses hold president titles, so VP, SVP, EVP, or C-suite titles. So there's one and a half thousand people in there from the unicorns and 500 from the control group. So just a bit of uh, sort of housekeeping there for me. I had expected to find that the unicorns and the control group in terms of number of leaders would start to look quite different around about three to four years years after Series A. But what we actually see in the data is it's one year after Series A. So what happens is at year zero, as in the date of Series A, unicorns go and hire roughly three VP or C-level people in that single year after Series A. Whereas control group companies on average hire half a person, as in every second control group company hires one person. And why that's surprising to me is to make an executive level hire, so a VP or C-suite type of hire, takes six to nine months if you're using a search firm. So to do three in one year is massive. You really need to start thinking about that before your Series A closes because you don't really have the luxury of time after your series a closes to start thinking about it because by the time you've got the job spec down and started speaking to other people in your in your organization to figure out which functions you should be recruiting for then you've signed a search firm that's already three months gone out of that year period so what we really saw it was in the unicorns these are companies that before they close that series a they're thinking we know what we've got to do and we're ready to do it. As soon as the money hits a bank account, we're going to go and sign these search firms and we're going to go and hire these three functional leaders. And in, con- in control group, it didn't really look like that happened at all. Um, so that was really the leading finding from it. The other ones that really I, I found personally interesting and that seemed to have resonated with the audience as well, years of prior experience in the two groups and the unicorns and in the control group are pretty much the same over that five-year period so it follows the five years after series a the report on average they're the same years of experience per person are on average the same in the two groups but in the unicorns their most experienced person and their least experienced person are significantly more and less experienced than in the control group so in the unicorns The most experienced person usually has 29 years behind them and the least has six behind them. Whereas in the control group, it's um, 22 years behind them and nine. So there's quite a big difference in terms of the standard deviation of leadership teams in the two groups. And particularly around, I guess, um, cognitive diversity, it's quite a large gap. 
And when I've spoken to people about this who are founders or um, leaders that have been brought in to unicorn businesses, they've pretty much all said the same thing, which is like, that's not a huge surprise. Like you kind of need the people at the lesser um, end of the spectrum in terms of experience to have the big ideas, to have the vision, to have the, I guess, sort of unbridled enthusiasm for the whole journey and the vision. And then the people at the more experienced end of the spectrum who actually kind of know, are probably a little bit more realistic, to be brutally honest, about what's possible, but can actually make, make things happen. Like they know that if you're going into the US, like these are the boxes that you need to check. And they know that if you're selling into enterprise clients, like this is the kind of deal you need to pull together. So more on the operational side of making the big vision happen. And I think that was a really interesting thing in the data. And then also on the cognitive diversity side of things, um, educational background was a huge thing that came out of this report. So unicorns, every single one of the 50 unicorns that were in my research had someone in the leadership team who had an undergraduate degree from a top 50 university globally. And the top 50 universities were taken from QS rankings and the Times University Guide. So there wasn't a single unicorn in there that didn't have someone. And, I, and not all of the control group companies had that same thing. Um, I think it was just over half control groups com- companies had, had someone in the leadership team from a top 50 university, which is a fantastic finding by itself. But then when you layer on top of that, the fact that 78% of unicorns, so almost four out of five, also had someone in the leadership team that had not been to university at all, Whereas in the control group, that was just under half, things start to get a little bit more interesting. So what we're really saying is unicorns were hiring people at the top of their sort of education game, as it were, but also people who are at the top of the practical game, people who had started probably from slightly like a, a, a less advantage point at the beginning of their career, but were so good and so dedicated that they smashed through that without needing a degree. And they hired both of those types of people and they have this cognitive diversity then in the leadership team that's opposite ends of the experience spectrum and opposite ends of the educational background. So what you get is this full spectrum of, of schools of thought. And we see it at Notion as well as a team. So we have like two partners that went to top 50 undergrad universities and one that didn't go to university at all. And that's really interesting for me being in that environment personally where the partners that went to top universities usually have a more sort of logical and traditional way of approaching things. And the one that didn't kind of pokes around a little bit more in that. So you get this kind of textbook process with a, like a practical kind of adjustment for what's, what's happening like now and, and relevant to this specific um, set of events. Um, so those were the main takeaways from the unicorn trajectory that personally I found most interesting and seem to have resonated best with the audience as well. Did you find much of a difference in the hiring trajectories between, uh, I guess, uh, those companies in Europe and those in, uh, in the US? Yeah, good question. So on no, basically, on, on the majority of measures, no. Um, the number of people that were hired and the times at which they were hired were exactly the same uh, in Europe and the US. The years of experience per person were exactly the same, both at the lower end and the upper end of the spectrum. The things that were different between Europe and the US, um, tenure was different in the two uh, territories. 
So the tenure in the U.S. seems to be a lot shorter. Um, in the U.S. and leadership teams, it's somewhere between two and a half and three years as an average, whereas in Europe, it's more like four and a half years. And I honestly, I don't know why that is. And the main things I can think of are one, the market for moving around in jobs in the U.S. seems to be slightly more buoyant. Like I think it's more normalized that if you're in a leadership role in a high growth business in Silicon Valley, that you will expect calls from search firms after two years of being there. And that the opportunity that they're calling you with as well is, is very interesting. And I don't think that's so much the done thing in Europe, I would say. And then the other thing I think is just a question of geography. So if you're in Silicon Valley, like the majority of the opportunities that you're going to get put in front of you are in Silicon Valley and the same thing in New York. Whereas in Europe, if you're in London, the chance that you'll get approached by a startup in Berlin or Stockholm or Barcelona is quite high. And then obviously the reverse is true. And so I think the barriers to moving on seem to be higher in Europe than they are in the US. Um, the other thing that was like different, I guess, in European data to North American was just universities. In the US, the majority of people had been to a top 50 undergrad uni in the, in, in the um, control group and that's, uh, sorry, in the unicorn group. And that's where that data got really, like that got, that data got most of its gravity from. Whereas in Europe, the same isn't true, but there's such a small number, I hate to say it, but it's true that the, there's such a small number of European unicorns that to get critical mass of understanding the educational background of those leadership teams like becomes reasonably hard um, because there's only, I think, the most uh, the, the most obvious universities that popped up in the research and European unicorns are Scandinavian ones because there's more unicorns to come out of Scandinavia really than anywhere else. So the uh, Copenhagen Business School was quite high on the list, as was Stockholm School of Economics. So Tradeshift and Klarna um, and Zendesk obviously all contributing to those numbers. But aside from those things, yeah, in terms of numbers of people hired, uh, experience of those people... Uh, where those people had worked before, et cetera, they were pretty much the same thing in Europe and, and, and North America, which I personally also find interesting because um, I think sometimes the pushback that certainly I get in the role that I have at Notion is it's easier to hire, it's easier to build leadership teams in the US that, than it is in Europe. And I think this data goes some way to showing that that's probably just not true. It's possibly a case that you need to put on a harder sell as a founder to get someone to move to the city that you're in in Europe. But it shows that it's possible, which I think is quite interesting. If you could distill it to a, a couple of sort of key lessons uh, scale-ups could learn from, from this research, um, what, what would those be? Yeah, sure. So the first thing is get ready to hire straight out the gate. Like, don't expect your Series A capital to land and then start thinking about this. It has to come before that. Um, because you need to make those three hires in the first year, approaching three, between two and four, really. Um, that would be number one. I would say the other thing is don't necessarily be looking at someone's educational background as a yes, no on that particular person, but have a look around your team, see who you've got and see who could complement what you have. If you have everyone having attended a top 50 undergraduate university, that's great. But maybe have a think about, do we need some cognitive diversity in this team? And then the other thing I think is 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 about the the education. I'm sorry, the experience background of people. I hear often we want young, high potential, low experience, but big vision type people in the leadership team, and that is so true. I cannot um, discredit that, and I won't discredit it because I think it's completely accurate. You do need those people in leadership teams, but if you have them without the people at the other end of the spectrum 
who have been there before and done this and just know how to do it. Like, okay, so you're going into the US and you hit a regulatory hiccup. Like, okay, well, we've done this before. Like, I know how to go over this. That's the kind of dialogue you want on the other on the other side of that coin. And I think sometimes it gets missed as well. And I find it kind of interesting that there are quite a few famous examples of this happening, like Larry Page and Sergey Brin, both in Eric Schmidt really early. And and yet when I speak to founders about doing this, often there's a, a nervousness about it. It's like, oh, I don't want the like the serious people in their suits to come in and change the culture. And it's like we have this incredibly famous, super successful example of people doing this and it working out so well. So it's not to say that you have to do it, but at least think about it as an option. If it worked for Google, sure, it may not work for you, but the chance that it will is, is reasonably high. And I think sometimes those businesses go under the radar a little bit because it's because I guess the, the story is more interesting for the young underdog who made a huge success of their startup. And that's absolutely right. It's incredibly, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. And it's harder, I think, when you have less experience behind you. But bringing a more experienced person into your leadership team shouldn't be overlooked as something that you should think about doing. Where, where can our listeners find this report? It's on the Notion website, so notion.vc, and then it's in our report section. And then if you're following me on LinkedIn, um, I will probably spam you once a week for the next few weeks of it because I've been publishing quite a lot of it. So, so in those two places, you can find it. There's no spam on LinkedIn. I'm not sure what you're on about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not um, guilty of that, no. <laughs> Um, we, we always ask our, our guests a final question. Say, um, you know, how do you stay healthy and sane? And uh, what is your way? Oh, really good question. Do you fair amount of intermittent fasting? So I'd say like once a month, probably don't eat for 24 hours, which sounds like it would make you go insane, but it actually really works. Um, I've been quite surprised. So that's one thing. And then I think working from home, I work from home at least one day a week just to get a bit of peace. And for me, it's the most productive day of the week usually. Um, so I think uh, those probably two things are the things I would recommend. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, uh, Maddie Cross, uh, uh, Talent Director of Notion Capital, uh, it's been great speaking with you again. Thanks for being uh, a guest on uh, the SaaS Revolution show um, and look forward to, to sharing uh, the unicorn trajectory uh, with our audience. Thanks very much, Maddie. Perfect. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show with myself, Alex Suma, and our guest, Maddie Cross, Talent Director at Notion Capital, and that you learn around the unicorn trajectory uh, and how you can apply that to your business. Uh, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps the podcast get discovered and helps people like yourself learn how to grow their SaaS businesses. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.